Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Well, hey, Christina, how are things in California today? They are sunny. I'm so excited. It's sunny here, too. i got to tell you, girl, <clears throat> it is mulch season in South Carolina when we're recording oh, this. I spent the whole weekend working on mulch with my husband. You're mulching it out? And if anything will make you feel like you're in <laughs> midlife, it is the pain you feel after slinging a few bags of mulch. Like, mm. I did the whole Epsom salt soak last night. It was ridiculous. Nice, nice. But I bet your body feels amazing today, so. Uh, that's not the word I was going to use, but oh. if you say so. I mean, like my <laughs> butt cheeks are sore even. I mean, See, it's if you crazy. had some CBD, you'd be good. But just alas, saying. in the South, we must mulch. <laughs> so, I am... Gosh, we say this every episode, but I am like really super pumped for today because I'm, like, I'm going to learn a lot. You're going to yeah. learn a lot. My yeah. viewers are going to learn a lot. And it's really going to be a service to some people, don't you think? It is. It is. Uh, you know, and we have a we have a returning Moxie partner who is a favorite amongst our community. Oh, and the so, favorite. She I, has the I, oh, number I know. Oh, one I, I know. episode today. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like everybody loves to hear from her. And today, I mean, it's going to blow people's hair off. Like they're not going to have any hair left after this well, you episode. You know, this is what I like, love seriously. that we do is we talk about things that you can't just talk about anywhere. Like That's there's, right. you just can't go down the street and talk to somebody about some of these topics. And even when you go to doctors, therapists, there's just simply enough, not enough time for these kind mm -hmm. of conversations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're really... They're really, really needed. So I feel like this they is are. part of our mission to get these kind of answers. So without further ado, Liz, welcome back. Liz Watley to the show. Hi, Liz. Hey, Gail. Hey, Christina. Hey. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Now, Liz, for the ones who haven't heard you before, which I highly recommend they go back to the to the episode on anxiety, and we're about to release an episode on depression that you've already pre-recorded mm -hmm. with us. Um, tell them a little bit about you, what what makes you an authority to speak on this, your qualifications. Who are you, Liz? Okay, so I have my master's degree in social work, and it has a clinical um with a clinical expertise to that. So when you go get your master's degree in social work, you can choose a macro path, which is doing the social work, the bigger picture of business, and you can do micro, which is the clinical work. And so that's what I have my master's degree in, and I'm licensed in that. Um, and I've been in private practice, gosh, this is kind of hard to believe, since... Um, I was 25 and I'm 42 now. Wow. So however, however much that uh, math is uh, in two different states, but I have worked um, extensively with a lot of different um, communities and populations in that private practice also. So I've had contracts with group homes for teenagers, school mental health, um, 
working with individuals, families, adults, children, so a large variety of populations. Um, I also have extensive training in trauma treatment. So been through a lot of trainings in EMDR, which we'll think we'll talk some about today, EFT, um, and just really, really passionate about one of seeing people heal from trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's part of what I've spent the majority of my career studying and um, working with clients. Wow. You know, Liz, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about EMDR and, um, and tapping. And so let's just dive in. Like, what is EMDR and what is tapping? Well, I want to say how one long... thing before we start, Christina. Just in full disclosure, Liz is my therapist, so I can vouch for her. <laughs> you all see how sane I am and how well I'm doing in the world. Woo! So just want to throw that out there. I do know Liz personally, so she's not somebody we just plunked off the street. I yes. knew her personally before she became my therapist. And we're back to personal right now because I've been doing so good, doing so well. But when I need a session, it would be with Liz. So go ahead, Christina. Uh, awesome. So now that we have that out of the way, <laughs> we, we know how sane Gail is now. Y'all know. You see how, <laughs> I mean, I mean, she saved well, me before all, she got here. Listen, listen, Gail, I think all of us have a therapist on speed dial, right? Like it's, it's just a necessary part of the game of life. So, um, so we have, I highly recommend it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how long have you, um, you know, been doing this and how long has it been around EMDR and tapping? What's the difference? You know, tell us a little bit about each because they, from my understanding, serve uh, uh, different needs, if I'm if I understand that correctly. So, share with us. Um, they they can serve different needs, uh, and they also can be used in interchangeably. So, um, you know, I don't know the exact dates of to say how long they've been around. I uh, so I'm thinking, if memory serves me correct, the EMDR really became more popularized, uh, or at least more, the research began rather, I should say, in the late 80s. Um, I think I'm correct in that. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Now, for all the listeners, you can just get rid of that what I just said and just throw it away if it means nothing to you and you're wondering what are these words and why is it relevant. I'm just defining for you what the name is. And then later, if you're curious, they ended up figuring out it really wasn't a great name for EMDR, but it was, it, we we're with it now. EFT is emotional freedom technique. And most commonly associated with that is tapping. Now, EFT Depending on how you define when was it, uh, you know, when did it come about, it focuses on the meridians. So the, and that goes, dates back all the way to Chinese medicine um, and other, you know, forms of alternative treatments. So it came about with Roger Callahan really implementing um, the muscle testing or applied uh, physiolo physiology um, and the meridians to reduce emotional, um, abreactive emotional experiences people are having or anxieties and physical pain. 
Hmm. Other people have come in with EFT and kind of created um, more protocols around it. So, you know, there'd be several names attached to that, but Roger Callahan was the first one. Francine Shapiro is the person who really um, started and launched and I guess founded EMDR therapy as well. So EMDR and EFT, I use interchangeably and, um, but they're, they're different in that EMDR is typically through the trauma lens. Now I use both for trauma work, but it's typically old memories and let's focus on, um, a trauma and do the EMDR with that. So a specific event in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Correct. And EFT typically focuses on reducing an emotional experience. And when I say reducing, um, I mean, reducing the symptomology, the symptom expression, um, reducing what you don't want to have happen, right? The anxiety associated with it or the negative um, feelings in the body or mind. So that it. might be like anxiety attacks. And correct. And so what would be one of the examples, like if let's just say Gail or or myself is, is having a, an anxiety attack, what would be something that we could do as far as EFT? What an example of that? Yeah, yeah. So well, why don't we um, talk about yeah, EMT? All, yeah. EMT. That's not right. <laughs> EFT. <laughs> In general, <laughs> let's let's take them one at a time. Is that good, you guys? Is that the yeah. way we should? Yeah. Go? Let's, so yeah, let's do good. AFT first. And let me say for our listeners, the reason we are talking about this, because you're like, probably, what in the world? This is because so many of our listeners, so many of our experts even, we have found struggle with anxiety, fear, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. Um, you know, PTSD. And it's it seems to be at a crisis point in our culture right now. And I think, I'm sure Liz could talk an entire two hours on all the reasons it has come to the head that it's at now, you know, not receiving proper proper, uh, mental health treatment, the the pandemic, um, the stresses in our lives. But that's not the focus today. The focus today is to give you some information on the treatments that are out there. Because when I um, had just a really serious meltdown, some trauma involving weather, for those of you who know me. Um, these are things that were presented to me, and I knew nothing about them. At least might as well have been speaking in Chinese. And I think when you're already in a compromised situation and they start throwing out these terms, that can be even more overwhelming, and you don't know what to do. And you, I rem- remember when I went in, I didn't know what help was available with therapy. I think people think therapy is only talking. CBT. That is not it. CBT is one modality for treatment. Am I on the right? Am I saying all that correctly, Liz? Yes. Excellent. And I'm so happy that you're talking about it in this way, Gail, because it's important for people to know, why aren't we just talking about this? Right, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have the misconception that therapy is only about talking. Or right. That we're well, talking. they won't go to therapy, especially men. They'll say, "Well, we're just going to talk." No, these are specific treatments that help a mm-hmm. lot of people. So I just want because I thought it was talking in medicine. I thought that's all you got. Lay on the couch. Yeah, you know, I didn't even lay on a couch when I went to therapy, just so you know. And there was a lot of talking in the beginning, but the talking was to assess what I needed and then do actual treatment. So that's kind of, I want you to know why we're talking about it and what this really is. So with that said, EFT, 
Tell us all about it, Liz. Right. And if you don't mind, I'm going to add to that too, Gail. And thank you. Thank you for um, bringing us back to that. You know, why would we be doing this anyway? There's, first of all, there's nothing wrong with talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, It all depends on you assessing within yourself. Am I getting what I need? from this when you're going in into your appointments. If it feels like you're chit-chatting and you know nothing's shifting, then you're not really getting what you need from it. But talk therapy can be very powerful in um, particularly for somebody in the beginning stages of just becoming aware. Well, so for couples what we found, to learn to communicate, stuff like that. And and even and I, I don't specialize in couples, um, but even in couples therapy, they have more specific forms of um, mm-hmm. treatments mm-hmm. these days that go beyond that. Um, but what we found, well, let me talk for myself first. What I found for me in my own therapy, and this was you know twenty something years ago, getting started, is that I thought that I was being completely open with my therapist, not holding anything back, you know, telling my story. And yet things really didn't shift as much until I started at that time, it was EMDR and then later uh, was introduced to EFT years later. And what I found was as both a practitioner and a client (laughs) that there are things that you cannot access by just talking about them. And sometimes that might include repressed memories, but I want to be clear because a lot of people are so fearful of doing any of these treatments because they think, what if something comes out that I'm not prepared for to deal with? The majority of the time, in fact, I'm not sure if that's ever happened in my practice, where somebody is totally blown away by a brand new memory. They have elements of memories and they're surprised, but not that fear that there's this deep, dark secret underneath. So there's that. Well, can Um, I ask you about that? Even if there was a deep, dark secret, if if I understand you correctly, and this is going into discussions we had when I came to see you in your practice, Our brain and our body deals with severe trauma in some very interesting ways. I never heard about this. You talked about nonverbal parts of your brain, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that's not impacting you correctly. I mean, correct? Absolutely. Correct. So So, even if you're fearful that a secret's going to come out, the secret is already impacting you and wouldn't it be better to bring it to light and deal with it? Yes. And I will never. Liz, I'm laughing because I can't hear you nodding. (laughs) (laughs) Liz Liz does lots of body motions with no, no. Use your vocalizations, Liz. Use your word. Thank you. Thank you. Call me out. Now I move my microphone because I thought you were saying they can't hear me. Um, They just can't hear me nodding. Correct. Um, (laughs) I forget the question now, Gail, because I'm laughing at myself so hard. I was saying, you know, you know, people are afraid that this the boogeyman is going to come out of their brain, this big dark secret. But it, is is it true that the secret is already impacting their <laughs> emotions and the way they feel, even though they don't know what it is? And so, it's not that finding out the secret is going to send you into. Am, am I getting that right? Like keeping it hidden is not helping you feel any better. Correct. Um, and that that would be a very significant generalized statement. And so in general, 
Correct. Anything that we have hiding in isolation, repressed, it is wreaking, ha wreaking havoc on our lives. And that may be in the form of a relationship, um, you know, with our partner, with somebody in business, with parenting, or on our physical health. It doesn't go anywhere. It begins to eat at one element of your life, whether or not you, if you don't heal it and you can't heal without saying it out loud. But I would like to add an asterisk to that to say it is really, really terrifying for people to talk about some of these things and to, to bring it out. And I don't want to minimize that. I know from my experience as a therapist, people do get better. I also do know and am clear that it is not my responsibility to push people to that because the metaphor I use, it'd be like lifting weights. If I'm the personal trainer and I'm saying, you can do more weight, you can do more weight, you can put more on there, go, more reps, more reps, more reps, right? <laughs> then the person may say, no, this is, no, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Do it more, do it more. But I'm not in their body. So an injury can happen from that, right? And so there are reasons to be more than compassionate, just gentle, depending on your trauma history and depending on, you know, just how you feel about discussing your trauma. Be gentle, be in ease. Um, there's okay, no two real things rush there. to just pull it all out. And I know I'm going to interrupt you a million times today, but I, I'm thinking from the ignorant and educated and what it was like when I rolled into your office, because I rolled in terrified, just terrified. Um, but I knew something had to change in my anxiety. Um, you just made the statement. It was one of the most pivotal things that you said to me in, in your office, you will get better. And I think, Correct. People. Now, this is outside of, you know, the worst of the psychiatric diagnoses. That's a whole different category. But for most of us, they're dealing with anxiety, depression. <clears throat> There's a very good chance that with the right treatments, the right medications, if they're needed, that you can get better. And I mean, I thought Correct. my brain was messed up and would never be the same because that's the way it felt at the moment. But just that encouragement that you can get better, you will get better with treatments. The other thing is I want to make sure people go to a qualified therapist, someone they really trust, because what you said there was really sensitive about you as a therapist are constantly monitoring that person's responses and how far they can go in any of these modalities, whether it be talk or anything. Um, so just let me back up and say, are, are all therapists trained in these modalities? Or are there questions that our listeners would want to specifically ask before they enter into EMDR, EFT, even CBD? Mm -hmm. um, CBT. Right. Lord have mercy with the word today. CBT. <laughs> There's so many initials out there. Right. No, not all therapists are trained in um, in every modality. I'm not trained in every modality, um, but and not all are trained in EFT or EMDR. And you know there. There's a couple of different types of clients that I'll see. One would be mm -hmm. somebody who comes in, and I think you know what? There's this treatment. Have you ever heard of it? EFT or EMDR, whichever I may be presenting, you know, I'll get the look like I'm a crazy person, which means they've never heard of it, <laughs> right? Or I'll get that sounds familiar. And then I, you know, talk a little bit about which one to do. 
Then I had the client come in that says, you know, uh, so probably 10 years ago, I was one of the, um, I was the, the only one, if not one of the only one of certified in EMGR female in South Carolina. And, you know, I, at that point had people contacting me, as you can imagine, traumas, childhood traumas, females sometimes would rather work with a female. And so mm-hmm. then I have the other type of client that comes in and says, I hear you do EFT or I hear you do EMDR. I want to do that. Okay. So either and then you fine, have Gail. as long as the message is get help, <laughs> it doesn't then matter. Then you have help. Gail who said, I know and trust Liz and I'm going to cross the friend barrier. Please. I mean, I didn't know anything about either one. Never heard of them. And when you first mentioned it, I was, it was a little scary to me. I'm not going to lie. Those words and we'll let you get into it because it it is a little like, oh gosh, you know. Um, Right. And there's a lot of fear from the things that were done in psychiatric hospitals or psychiatric treatment way back in the day. So say, you know, um, when we're doing lobotomies. I mean, I'm talking about way back mm. in the day. And so there's this certain element of you begin to say, so in EMDR, and yeah, we can t- go where, where we were going and separate it and start with one, but EMDR has equipment sometimes we use. And, you know, I have nothing but compassion that people are going, what in the world are you pulling out a light bar for? Or because it's a, it's a survival feeling, you know, and we have a history of mistreating people, um, of mental health in this, you know, I mean, I was able to trust you because I knew you personally. I think walking into a therapist, you don't know at all is a whole different situation. And because of our Mm -hmm. culture right now and the shortage, Mm -hmm. people aren't in the shop for their therapists. They're having to take whatever they can get. And that's got to change. You know, uh, let let me just say this in California, because I'm in California and I don't know how it is out there in South Carolina for you, Gail, but I know in California, it's really hard to find a great therapist. I mean, really, 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 really hard. And um, unfortunately, uh, my like, I'm with Leah because our mutual friend called and said, "Please right. help her." <laughs> well, I'm I'm with my therapist because she is a part of my community and a part of you know people have used her and they have referred her to me and she's been a blessing not only to me but to my husband and to our marriage and so. It's it's really hard, but she's not taking any more clients. Like she's, you know, she's like, nope. We, I, I just, I don't have the space to do that, and so it's really hard um, to find somebody. And so, when people are looking, these are really good things for them to, you know, get educated on to ask those questions, especially, right. um, you know, when they're dealing with sensitive. Um, uh, things such as trauma. I mean, I have, I, I've been through a lot of trauma, like things that people just don't know, um, that I just don't talk about, you know? And, um, and, and so it's, it's, you know, that stuff is like, oh, it's really painful. You're like, I don't really, really want to talk about that, you know, <laughs> to well, just we anybody. We also don't want to be labeled by our trauma. Right. So she's the right. one that, you know. But now, Liz, just fairness, you have had trauma in your life, right? 
Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not asking you to tell your story, but I think that you have experienced some of these things and some of these treatments makes you a better therapist because you've sat on the other side. You've, you've sat mm. on the couch. Um, and I right. think that matters. And it's also what would motivate me to learn more is when something, quote, worked or helped me. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to get some training in that. For sure. Well, let's start with the EFT because that seems like I could be totally wrong, but it seems like almost the simpler of the two. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. maybe, maybe depends on <laughs> we'll how see. you conceptualize oh my it. Okay, let's go. Okay, so EFT is emotional freedom technique, and it's again, it's most um, commonly associated with tapping. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so I'm this is really stretching my verbalization skills, by the way, because it is. <laughs> hands-on thing <laughs> you're you all can't us. see me. Right. I, and I will show y'all because y'all can see me because it helps me talk. Okay. So we have meridians in our body and and the there are places in our body, this is an oversimplification by the way, but they, our body stores everything. Mm-hmm. So for example, there's a book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, forgetting, I think, Callahan may have written that, but The Body Keeps the Score is one of those. It's it's a dense book, but it is a great book in showing if just because we don't think about it on a regular basis or even remember it, our bodies remember it. And so earlier, Gail, you were talking about being nonverbal. And there are two different things there. Parts of that are the nonverbal parts of the brain. But some of that um, that you may not have intended, but it reminded me are when trauma happens to us below the age of around seven or eight, when our brain, our brain, by the way, isn't fully developed until mid-20s, completely Mm -hmm. developed. But we are not at a place of processing what we're experiencing in a very linear way until about, you know, after seven or eight-ish. I mean, it's not exact, but it's around that time. Everything that happens prior to the age of seven is um, if your brain waves are like you're in a state of hypnosis, they're very similar. So you're just soaking it all in. Now imagine a trauma happening to a two-year-old and then 42-year-old, you know, we'll say Sharon, this is a makeup made up story, is not able to verbalize and talk therapy why they get really anxious around um, powerful women. You know, and it could be, sometimes we find that there are these traumas that occur that we don't have this linear memory with. Okay, so back to EFT. EFT, it activates the the neurolymphatic system so that we are processing a trauma, not just in our minds, but in our bodies also. So one of the first things that we do is... for those that are listening, which is everyone except for two people and that can see me, <laughs> it's as if you're going like your hand on to do Pledge of Allegiance or something, you'd go down three inches and over three inches. And you can, that's one of the spots that we will sometimes hold and press. Um, you can also do it in a circle. And if you you kind of try to do that uh, while you're listening, there's a sore spot. You know, it's it, if you move it around, there's a sore spot. This activates your lymphatic system to kind of, to begin pumping and moving through 
as we begin to talk about an anxiety-provoking belief or a negative belief that you may have about yourself, okay? So okay, let while, me ask a question there. Mm-hmm. Is it just that spot that activates the lymphatic system or uh, all the tapping spots? That's what it's doing is activating the lymphatic system. Um, so for me, and you know, the, this is the, I call when we, this is where I always start. And by this is that first spot, three down, you know, three inches down and over. On the chest, the upper chest. Mm-hmm. And that I do as we, be, as a therapist and practitioner, I do as I begin to act, that activates it. Every single spot on your body, Gail and Christina, because you asked me the question, Gail, is associated to an emotion. And I will not remember all of them um, off the top of my head. But so say the pinky is often associated, um, the meridian of grief or the, the lungs kind of right underneath your chest is the, um, where there's a lot of shame or rage. Um, you know, again, I'll get them confused, which is which, but you tap over your eyebrows or center of your eyebrows, rather side of eye, under eye, under nose, under lip, and every single point is associated with an emotion and a body part, too. And so while you are working on these, so that, you know, one of something on your hand or on your face can be associated, say, with the liver, right? And then it'll be. Okay, okay, okay. Well, liver this slash is anger. Right. I got to get some more science in here. <laughs> this is going like to blow your in, hair back. In right. the woo category. We want to be careful. We, we, so, we said that. It's going to blow your hair back. Is it, so. <laughs> are these parts, are they, I can't even get the question out. These body parts, are they connected neurologically to certain parts of the brain? Is that, or do we know? How, how the connection, what, how is it connected scientifically? I would say yes, because everything is connected somewhere in the brain, right? right. And so the answer to that is yes. Um, however, you know, again, what we're working on is meridians. And so, and what we're working with here, and it is. Okay, tell ancient... people what a meridian is, because I don't know what you necessarily mean by that. And I know there's others are going, what the hell? <laughs> right. So I encourage everybody to Google it. It's a very ancient um, way of looking at the body. It's an alternative that that is used a lot in alternative medicine. Um, so meridians, you know, I don't even know if I can define it fully, but they are, if you, you know, lines through the body um, that may go run parallel, uh, horizontal, and vertical. And these meridians, it, they. So if you imagine a a string that's hanging and I go down and tap the bottom of a string. A string is very loose. And so that begins to move the whole string. Does that make sense visually as I'm describing that? Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. I'm tapping on a part of that string and the string is all moving, that means I can be tapping on a place, a meridian. It's an energetic field as the body is composed. And that affects the other parts of the body that are stored in that meridian. So I just encourage you to Google it, you know, figure that stuff out. And here's another thing I want to make sure I stress. I'm a practitioner and I cannot tell you, you know, just by heart, this spot represents this emotion and this 
organ. This spot represents this and this organ. Guess why? Because I don't really care. Why I care is that it helps and that it works. And so Mm -hmm. there are, please know this, the EMDR and EFT are highly researched. They have scientists who are, I mean, researchers who study the efficacy of this. We all know how difficult it is for insurance companies to cover certain things. The fact that these therapies are endorsed by insurance companies, insurance companies will pay extra for you to send, some will, longer amounts of time, meaning say a 90 minute appointment rather than mm-hmm. a 50 minute for you. To and I have think when I was concerned treatment. that that was the case that they would allow for. Right. So, so here's what I love that you research. said just then. Right. We're marrying Western medicine with Correct. ancient, um, what we would have in the past called, you know, non- uh, you know, more alternative medicines. And I, you know, Eastern. a lot of people are fully in the Western medicine, a lot of people fully in the Eastern. And I've always thought that the answer was in the middle somewhere. So I love that we're seeing that in mental health. I hope we apply it to the rest. So just, just wanted to make well, that little point there. Let me, so, let me ask one, one other question here, because I hear you talking about the meridians and I hear you talking about how we hold on to trauma within the body um, the nonverbals. And I know that when I go to see my chiropractor, there are things that move within the body as well. Mm-hmm. Is, is that, is there, is there a correlation between the two? I, I mean, I know that you're not a chiropractor, but have you heard that to where, um, when you get that work done, there can, there can be some emotional release? Sure. Sure. Yes. I've, I have heard that. Um, I've heard it a lot from people who do a lot of yoga too. And you know, hip, oh. the hips store um, all the, um, all, all, almost all the trauma goes to the hips. And are so you serious? Are doing, really? So when people are doing hip opening exercises, um, you know, there can be times of emotion that's coming oh. up and clearing through Maybe that. Maybe that explains a lot about the pain we use women often have in our hips. That's so fascinating. Correct. I would agree with that. Yeah. Hey listeners, Gail here. Oh, hang on, hang on. Ah, sorry, felt a hot flash coming on, but I hit myself with my Mojo Wellbeing Quick Cooling Spray and I'm instantly feeling better. Mojo Wellbeing has created an entire line of products made just for perimenopause and menopausal women. These include things like collagen restoring serum, redness reducing serum, the Quick Cooling Spray, and their newest product, hair thickening serum. You're going to want to check them out at mojowellbeing.com. That's mojo, M-O-J-O, wellbeing.com. Products made just for you to help you get your mojo back. Well, hey, Moxitas, it's your girl Gail here. And I just wanted to ask, have you checked in with your vagina coach lately? Yes, I said vagina coach. Oh, you don't have one? Well, you may need one, and we have one for you. Kim Vopney is the vagina coach. Yes, you heard us right. And if your pelvic region is not in tip-top shape, then you need Kim Vopney, the vagina coach. Her proven program uses exercise to restore your pelvic area to 
good function. And that includes helping you with things like prolapse and incontinence. Nobody wants that, right? Well, here's how easy it is to connect with Kim. Head over to your app store and download the Buff Muff app. That's Buff Muff, B-U-F-F, M-U-F-F, Muff. Kim will help you get your pelvic area in the best shape of its life, and you too will have a buff muff. Now back to the show. So tapping, that can be done. Here's another differentiation I want to make. You you actually learn to tap yourself, correct? Right. Yes. And so my therapist, um, I worked with my therapist for about... Uh, five years, six years, and she's my mentor now. I've had many therapists, by the way, <laughs> just this one that I'm referencing. And she just told me recently that she doesn't do EMDR with anyone until she has already taught them EFT so that they mm-hmm. can use the tapping while at home to help, you know, calm their state. If triggered, if they have, you know, if somebody has PTSD, Having flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, nightmares, this is part of having PTSD. And so we can do this work in the office. Well, what happens when you get home and, you know, you hear a truck, you know, how it goes out sometimes and it sounds like a gunshot. And then the mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're fully be, you know, back into the trauma, of your consciousness is rather. Mm-hmm. What's, what do you have there? You don't, your therapist isn't there. That's where EFT can really be used once you've learned the tapping to calm your system down. Mm-hmm. So outside One of the thing I of say session, here, just before you go into that, I want people to understand clearly. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to be the very layman here. We don't want you to think this is only for super serious trauma that's just really, you know, beyond. This can be used for general anxiety, um, nervousness, um, Physical Maybe pain even some AD, is ADD hot. too, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. So, okay. and EFT particularly so is associated with physical pain. So, excellent point, uh, Gail. The best thing that I have heard explain this is that the research for EMDR and EFT um, is often done with survivors of war or rape survivors um, who are willing to do these the research for it. And so a lot of times people are going, well, gosh, me and my life doesn't seem that bad. I wasn't, you know, mm. you know, raped on a regular basis or didn't go to war. So I must not have trauma. The best way I can describe it is if it can work for the worst of the worst types of traumas, then it can work for whatever level of, you know, indifference or good, bad, or whatever that you think, even if you don't define it as trauma. A lot of us are mm-hmm. resistant to say this, you know, this ambiguous event is traumatic, was traumatic for me because of the shame well, associated with that work. You know, you know what, Liz, that, thank you for saying that, the shame of, of what that word really represents because a lot of people think, okay, well, I don't have PTSD or a lot of people nowadays say, oh my gosh, I have PTSD. And they throw around that word like they don't really understand what that means. And and I know Gail and, and myself, we come from a, a generation where it's like, okay, yeah, that happened to you. So suck it up and keep, keep it, it moving. Like suck it up. And and I will tell or you- Or the comparative. Been, uh, but you haven't oh, been yeah. through this. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, That's nothing. Well, and I used to be the comparative person where I'm like, dude, do you know what I have been through? Like, y'all don't know what I have been through. And what you have got going on in your life is like peanuts compared to what I have been through. Like... (laughs) Which we need me? to stop. We need to stop. We do. We do. And and I've learned that over the years and becoming more aware, right? And so I just want people to recognize that this, this can help you regardless because it doesn't matter if you have minor trauma or big trauma. It's like anything to get yourself better so you can show up for society, for your family, and for your community better, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Excellent. like, let's just lay that down. Right. Yeah. And EFT isn't just trauma-based either. So EMDR mm-hmm. is typically looked at as trauma-based. EFT has a wide range. And so with EFT, um, you start with a limiting belief. By the way, if anybody wants to do it for free, um, my former therapist and mentor, Mary Seiss, does Tapping Tuesdays, and it's every Tuesday at 2 o'clock, she does a free tapping course online, and you can go to her website, MarySeiss.com, go to the link Offerings, and go down to Tapping Tuesdays. This was something she started in the Spell pandemic. Spell her last name. Seiss, S-I-S-E, Mary Seiss. And I'm going to check that out. This is an so, excellent way that you can like just join in on, I mean, you can find how to do that on her website and watch and she will work with one or two people and go through it. But it's EFT is about a limiting belief. So Christina may say, you know, I just feel like I have to bust my butt to make ends meet, you know? So ultimately I feel like I, I, I can't just relax. Money doesn't come to me easily. I need to work hard, work hard, work hard. That could be considered a limiting belief. We can work from that. You know, now that may go back. We may, quote unquote, find a trauma that's connected to it. Or we may, through tapping, be able to decrease the effectiveness of that limiting belief. And then we replace it with the belief you want to have, which in that example may be that money money comes to me easily. And then we do so are with we, that. Are we basically calming our emotional system, our emotions and our nervous system so that our, you know, you're scholastic calming, brain can take over? Yes, you're calm. That, you know, so if, if it, for instance, if I'm the client and I'm having, you know, a lot of anxiety at home, ultimately what I want is to calm that anxiety. So yes, it's calming the anxiety by tapping. It's decreasing the nervous system. It's allowing energy not to be stuck. Whenever anything starts flowing through these meridians, it's allowing it to flow. Okay. But underneath that, Gail, what's actually also going on is you are reprogramming yourself. So we have been programmed by our experiences, by our lineage, our ancestors, our everything to have... So in that example, somebody so reprogramming our reactions. You correct. So if I, you know, take the example of money. If I um, have this limiting belief that I have to work so hard just to make ends meet, then I'm reprogramming. I'm decreasing my anxiety by doing the tapping. I'm eliminating the limited belief. I'm replacing it, and that's the reprogramming piece. I'm going through, and while feeling 
you know, after you've cleared it out while feeling I can, you know, be at ease and make money and pay my bills and you're tapping and doing that at the same time, you're having a new experience that your system doesn't, didn't know before now. That's what reprogramming is. Wow. So tapping can be done online with a therapist Mm -hmm. and the therapist is going to teach you to regulate yourself basically Mm-hmm. Um, as versus EMDR is not the case. And we'll get into that. That's done alongside a therapist in the presence of the therapist, right? Um, I've, yes. And with the pandemic and shutdowns, there were a lot of creative ways to do EMDR virtually also. Oh, For cool. me to do EMDR virtually with someone, I need to know them in and out, know their defense systems, One thing about EMDR that um, a quote I've heard is it melts your defenses like a candle. I mean, like a fire candle wax. (laughs) I'm laughing at myself because I messed that (laughs) metaphor up. I can't think about what it means. But basically, imagine wax and candle. Lighter, fire, (laughs) something. And the wax just melts everywhere. So, you know, I'm not going to... Right. I'm not doing EMDR with somebody who's across the country from me that I don't know very well virtually because I wanted them to be safe. Okay. I want to ask this question because uh, as you, as I start to learn a little bit about EFT, I thought about some of the things that we naturally do. We naturally do some things like sit around and tap on our desk, shake our foot, um, you know, flip our pen. Are these things that we have just innately kind of learned that fit into this same thing? Or is that something totally different? I think it's a really interesting point, Gail. I, I wonder if studies been done on that yet. Um, uh, you know, I don't think anything we do is on accident. I don't. And so it, anything, whatever we do. Because those do, things are we, sort of calming to us. That's why we do them. Right. So there's, it's self-soothing. Right. And so it could be that you're hitting on a meridian. I mean, like, you know, Sometimes I'll do, I'm tapping my temple right now. Sometimes I'll be like, think, 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 you know? Um, Yeah, so that's hitting a meridian because I happen to know that's one of the tapping spots. Maybe there's this um, magnetic draw, like an instinct um, to do something like that because of where it hits. And then also we just have patterns of behaviors that are just really soothing. Like I had a, my college roommate and best friend, she would twirl the ends of her hair with her oh. finger. Oh yeah. Right. That one. Oh. Right. Right. Especially it's, it's, it's Gail, Gail does that all the time. Right. right. And so it's my husband sensory. will notice me. He's like, you are going to town on that curl. I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> and I don't, I won't even yeah. know if I'm doing it. So right. I, I think, oh yeah, like baby, we learn that self-soothe. all the time. Oh, it you is do that. All the time. You know, you know what I do to self-soothe is when I'm laying in bed, I have to rub my foot. Like I've I noticed myself rub. rubbing mine on the sheets lately. And yeah. I, I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck is wrong? It's you. You have parlayed that on to me. Oh hell. Something else. And so you I know what? Who knows? That's the brilliance of the body. Maybe it's increasing circulation in that way. Maybe, I mean, you know, who knows? I don't think we do anything by accident. Yeah, I do that. Okay. It's my thing. So tapping would normally be rhythmic and a certain number of taps. Is that yes or no? Uh, you know, it's uh, 
not always is the answer. So, okay. you Tell know, us about that. So. I do when I'm if somebody's in office with me or in a virtual session and we're working on a limiting belief, then we are going through this limiting belief. We're doing sequences of the tapping. And part of that um, sequencing we can always do is, you know, so for instance, t- while tapping, even though I feel I can't um, relax in my job, that I always have to work hard, hard, hard. I deeply and fully accept myself. And so we say these things and then we can go through a sequence. We're tapping our, you know, around our face. We're tapping on, you know, throughout our body. There's meridian points everywhere. And there are different algorithms, if you will, that they've learned that can help with certain issues. Um, and there's a general algorithm too. And I'm moving So there's moving a pattern to this. it. It's not just... Correct. It's about not like three. just Christina and I rubbing our sheets at night. There's a pattern. Absolutely. There's certain locations and there's a pattern. That's an excellent way to put it. Um, and it doesn't always have to be tapping, which will just confuse people, you know, maybe a little bit more, but it can be press and hold. And so one of the things that we found is that they, um, depending on how deep this belief may go, and if it's associated with a trauma, we found that some things can feel a little harsh on the body. You know, I'm tapping my eyebrows, I'm tapping this these uh, underneath my ribs, and so press and hold works the same. It's about having that relationship with yourself to know what you're experiencing, and also communicating it with your therapist. So that's how you do it in office. But often you can also learn one of those algorithms or one of those sequences and do it at home and, um, or anywhere you are talking about chiropractor. Just the other day, I saw a lady going into the chiropractor and she was tapping the side of her hand. We call it karate chop. And she's doing two fingers on thumb, two fingers on pointer, two fingers on middle, two fingers on pinky. And I'm like, I know what she's doing. She's tapping. Yeah. She's relaxing her nervous system before going in to do something that may have been nerve wracking. That's the beauty of EFT to me. I just imagine the beauty of this with children, especially, and in school um, to regulate Mm -hmm. and to help them to succeed. But we've got to make this mainstream. And that's part of the reason we want to talk about people have to understand it. And so that we don't make fun of people and think, oh, they're they're rocking. They need to go, you know, impatient. Look at them. I think if we know more about it, what it is, we we accept it more in society, too. Just... Well, I want to know this. Does the tapping help with when people get angry as well? Like if you can feel your levels go whoosh, you know, and then before it gets to flooding stage of the mind, can you bring yourself down with tapping? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so again, a lot if of you it- acknowledge and recognize. So this goes along with... Awareness. Awareness is always key, right? But there have been times, yes, I mean, I think, holy moly, I'm going to jump out of my skin, whether that be because I'm so mad at my kids right now, or I'm just, you know, I'm anxious or something. And tapping, it's it's setting that intention. And then while tapping, so my intention is I need to bring this down, be, you know, breathe, incorporate my nervous system Mm. into that. Correct. Okay, last question mm-hmm. on tapping because we're going to run out of time and we got to get to that big, scary one. But can you tap other people? Like if I sense my husband was anxious, we're sitting on the sofa. Mm-hmm. Can I tap him? Is that 
something yes, it would be. to I would do it, for people? Is that? Yes, I would encourage. Yes. So, you know, so there's something empowering to, to be able to recognize it and do it on your own. Um, and so, you know, for most uh, healthy functioning adults, I would say, you know, encourage them to do it. But right when you said that, is that something kind for me to do with him? It's felt very nurturing and very loving. And so absolutely, if that's a, something that he's comfortable with and y'all have talked about and you, but you know, you've had the conversation and say, honey, you seem a little stressed. Let me, let me tap, you know, let me tap on your head. I do that with my kids too. I'll tap for them with their permission to touch their body at that time. Cause if they're aggravated, they sometimes don't want me to. Um, but it, mm-hmm. so yes, so it's it's like, get over here. Right? You're getting some tapping. Right. Right. There's something really <laughs> lovely about the way you put that. Yeah. It's more of a, I'm nurturing. Go to your room and tap you. right now. Right. Right. That's probably not I, the well, best way I to use that. that. I do that with my husband because you're I rocking right now. Feel Christina. his. Did you know that? Oh yeah. Well, I just the, <laughs> I like to. Yeah. I, We're a freaking I do. mess. I on rock this show. a lot. Like I just. <laughs> I'm hair twirling. I, I Christina's for, rocking. For Liz is batting her eyes. <laughs> like, help me. Okay, <laughs> let's get to EMDR. You ready? Okay, let's now, do it. Christina has given permission to share that she has been doing some EMDR therapy mm-hmm. and it was offered yeah. to me. And before I did it, I was, I was getting some better. So I, I essentially eventually decided that I was not needed at that time, but it was something I was considering. And so Liz, give us an overview. What is EMDR? Okay. So, and, and by the way, it's a, my experience has been that if somebody's not already familiar with EMDR, that it does feel scary to them. Um, because I uh-huh. know how powerful <laughs> it can be. Sometimes it confuses me as to why it, it might feel scary until I remember, oh, because I'm asking a client who thought they were coming to sit down on my couch <laughs> to talk about things to now move their eyes back and forth or, um, or some other sensation. So as I mentioned, it's eye movement is the EM part. Uh, When I said that later, they realized that probably wasn't the best name was because as research came out, what we found was that stimulating um, both sides of the brain slash body can be done tactically, tactically, with tactile. So through touch or tapping, um, it can be done with eye movements. It can also be done with tones and sounds. So currently my light bar, a light bar is um, what can be used. You can, a practitioner can just use their fingers. Um, a practitioner can use the corners of their room and in telling the client to go from this corner to that corner. Um, so there are, you don't have to have the quote machine, but for instance, I have a light bar it's been broken a little bit. So my clients have been using headphones for a while until I vest back into the light bar. It doesn't matter. Um, It is stimulating both sides of the brain while processing an event. And it's a right brain, left brain thing that can be done either way. Desensitization of the EMDR means uh, bringing down the negative response that you have associated with this memory or belief, and reprocessing is Ooh, reprocessing that, was a lot. that. Okay, and you said this was mostly used for trauma, mm-hmm. and so 
I think where people get really scared is when you talk about going back and assessing these memories and reliving the trauma, retelling the story. They're afraid of what they're going to find. I was afraid of how I was going to feel. And I think I had some fear of getting stuck in that. Mm -hmm. So I am going to pause you right there really quick. The goal is not to relive it. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay. As you said that about, um, you know, how you would feel. In my own EMDR therapy, uh, I remember one particular session, I kept thinking, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to, and my therapist walked a trash can over to me, set it beside me and says, if you throw up, here you go. You know, here's the, you know, so it doesn't mean that while doing it, you aren't feeling a lot. You are feeling a lot, um, but it mm-hmm. is not to re-traumatize. It's to heal. And we okay. aren't going all the way back there. This is a little tricky um, to, to conceptualize. It's like you have one foot here and one foot there. I'm not jumping in both feet, going right into my trauma, right? I am. We are one foot here in my office and we're one foot in the trauma so that you can come back in here at any given point in time. And mm-hmm. you are, as a therapist, you are keenly aware because you've, one thing I learned about EMDR when working with you, that you spend a certain number of sessions getting to know someone and working with them in other ways before you would even attempt EMDR so that you know all their cues. And like you said, their defense mechanisms, their ins and outs, so that it doesn't become unsafe for someone. Correct. To the point where it annoys some of my clients, right? Like, and it's not even a certain Yeah, I just want you to fix the damn thing. Right. Can we just fix it, Liz? What? How many times have you done? Exactly. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, EMGR is is eight phases of treatment. And the first phase is assessment. And the second phase is stabilization. That may take months for some people. And so people think EMDR is when my eyes are moving back and forth or when I'm listening. EMDR is eight phases. I have spent months assessing. Now we're stabilizing. And we're still doing EMDR. I think if I'm being honest, I'd love to know what Christine thinks about this because she just started. I think knowing that it needed that buildup, that should have made me feel more confident, but it made me a little more scared because it made it seem like it was such a big deal. Like, what are we doing that requires this much preparation? And I remember you saying, we wouldn't start it yet. I'm like... I'm here for you to fix whatever the hell is wrong with me. Can we just get to that point? You know, it's a very normal Um, response. Christina, did you, what were your feelings when it was first introduced? Uh, You know, for me, Gail, I would say this. I was just open to anything that would make me get better. Hmm. Um, I, I had been in such a swirl after dad passing and, and, what I have realized is that when you have something so significant like that happen and you're ready to move through it, that everything that has happened prior to that is now elevated to the top of the surface. And so it wasn't just dad passing. It was my childhood. It was my teenage years. It was, you know, the drug addiction. It was, you know, all of these poor choices that I had made. It was how to, how I was raising my son. It, it, I mean, just everything started to bubble up and it felt like I couldn't breathe. And so I needed to fix things because relationships around me were falling apart. And I felt like... um. I needed to catch some grounding. And and they weren't falling apart because 
of of me per se. It was because of how we were engaging in those relationships, and um, and and I just needed a different way. I just needed a different way to engage in those relationships and also be able to heal myself so that I could show up well in those relationships or set boundaries or 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 just release them if that makes sense. Well, I want to so, say something there if it's okay with both of you too. I feel like we've got to learn to look at these acute seasons mm-hmm. as what they are they are illness. And we can be in mental health or we can be in mental we can be mentally ill for a season. It doesn't mean we have this huge diagnosis. We can just be unwell. We can be not doing well. And we don't, and I'm not the expert. I won't list, you know, whatever she wants to say about this, but we've got to learn to see people as having seasons of being unwell, just like they have a season of having the flu or they have a season of their arthritis is acting up or whatever, and be able to talk about that in a way that's not well, you're just crazy. Mm. You know, we've got to ask people and mean it. How are you doing? Where mm-hmm. are you at on this? And we need to be able to freely and have the words and be able to articulate how we are mentally and emotionally. Because basically you were sick, Christina. You were sick. Mm-hmm. So let's get mm-hmm. let's go to the doctor and get better. Get some wellness going on. But we yeah, tend absolutely. to avoid people who are sick. You know, if they're physically sick, we love them. We bring them casseroles. We call and check on them. When people are mentally unwell, we abandon them. Right. And we chastise them. So, Liz, yep. I'm just going to you, you and then we're going to Neither do you, Christina. So we don't no. all do that, right? It's just that's been right. the pattern of society, correct? Because people mm-hmm. don't, don't know what to say and do with these types mm-hmm. of things. And yeah. I, I really love how you put that, the seasons of being unwell. And I often... Oh, I forgot something. I was going to say, Christina said her relationships were suffering. When someone is physically unwell, if they've got the flu, we don't expect their best behavior. So we've got to learn to, if someone's having a mental illness, if they're unwell, first, we've got to learn to not expect their best behavior there. I'm sorry, I just had, because I forgot my thought and I won't remember again in five No, minutes. no, it's perfect. Um, and, you know, I just I also want to accent, it just depends on what, like, how does that feel for you, Christina, to say unwell in that situation for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the truth. I have been unwell in different seasons of my life um, and I'm not showing up in the best in my mm-hmm. best self, you know, it's, and, and I think that I was just going to yeah, say, go as ahead. long as it feels empowering to the person. So as I heard Gail speak, being unwell for a season, I mean, that that's very normalizing. We all know what it's like to have the flu for a bit or the, you know, some of us know mm-hmm. it's like to have COVID, um, you know, or something strep that just knocks us out for a little while. And it takes a while for us to regain our energy. So it's a perfect metaphor. I just also want to add that, you know, sometimes we're just coping. You know, if that feels better mm-hmm. for you, we are coping with the shit ton that of stress that is in in this now. So take the example of like saying my dad just passed mine didn't, but I'm speaking what Christina was sharing earlier. Mm-hmm. And we're also coping with all that brings to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's we hard just to hold don't. that. 
we don't talk about, we don't articulate well. We we don't even right. say to our best friends, I'm not doing my best right now, or I'm feeling a little under the weather emotionally. We don't mind to say we're under the weather physically, but we don't say we're under the weather emotionally because that seems weak and crazy and all these numbers, you know, that we put on it. And we need to stop It's that. also assuming that people have well, the language for it, it too. That's, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I was just going to say that because... There are times where I'm like, I don't know why I can't get out of the swirl. I don't know why I can't articulate. The swirl is some of your language. Yeah, it is. Because I've never heard anybody say that. And now I know when you say that, I know what my friend is doing and where Mm -hmm. her brain's at. And it's probably not the best day to plan our next 17 episodes. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) if we learn language, we can love each other better and we can change our Mm -hmm. expectations Mm -hmm. and what we expect for people because somehow it's okay for someone to have the flu. It's not okay for someone to have a bout of mental, whether you want to call it unwellness. I I said that I was sick. When I had my just anxiety meltdown, I was physically sick. I could not eat. I was sick. And I got better. So I I just hope we can learn to use these names. So anyway, sidebar, we have a few of those on this show. EMDR. So you're targeting traumatic memories and you were taking them through re, I believe the, the, you told me something about it's basically you take that memory and it has been filed in your brain improperly. So yeah. Did I understand that correctly? So when we think of EMDR, EMDR is a past, present, future model. And what we mean by that is, so a client may come in and say, I have this reoccurring nightmare, this reoccurring flashback of when I was eight years old and blah, blah, blah happened. Well, boom, we got, you know, I, we're not searching for anything. That's what they've come in for. Okay. So that would be the past part of it. They In the present, it's negatively interrupting their life. This intrusive thought, this memory that keeps coming to them, uh, that takes us to the past. And then we're healing that, um, which, and then we do, which is some of the later stages of EMGR, the reprocessing, which is to look at, say, a future event. Uh, for example, when I'm talking to my son, and a flashback comes up, I can visualize myself handling it in a very calm way. And then we do, that's the reprocessing piece of EMDR. Um, The other part of that is that sometimes we start with present. So if somebody comes in and they're always really anxious in the spring and they're not, they're not putting together why, right? And Somebody named if, Gail. If you that resonates it, it's with okay. you. You can use, Liz, I give you full, <laughs> full permission to share anything about my story you. because I think it can only help someone. And part of my biggest problem was not understanding what was happening to me. That mm-hmm. made it worse. So you share anything about my story that could be helpful to anyone okay. else. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and my I'll sign the paper is later. Gail. Thank you. And I'll sign that paper later. My memory is, Gail, that you didn't come (laughs) in to the first day of session saying, I know this is about um, some experiences that negative experience, excuse me. I know this is about trauma that I've endured around weather. My memory is that you didn't come into the first session saying that. My memory is, is that it was, uh, I'm having debilitating anxiety. And as we began processing through, which was more of a little bit of a process, these examples of trauma and weather were came up for you and you would share. 
I knew it was the weather was the tipping point. What I did not know is how I had endured several years of traumatic experiences. And Mm -hmm. I did not realize that it was abnormal or that it was normative to not be able to handle that. Because I remember saying to you, I feel like my bucket of handle, it just ran out and it happened. There was no warning light like you get on your car. It was just very sudden. I'm out of handle. Mm. And that led to just almost a breakdown of sorts. I don't want to over-dramatize. I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but I just became very ill and I could not stop the thoughts mm-hmm. and the fear. But when we taught, yeah. you know, I was able to recount that in a 15-month period, we had buried two parents, had two children in very serious car accidents, moved out of state twice, had, you know, job change with my husband, and then we had two serious near misses with tornadoes, like... It was it was a very traumatic Correct. experience being on a bridge that lasted for miles and tornado sirens going off. I mean, it, it's the most scared I've ever mm-hmm. been in my life, and I could not mm-hmm. shake right, it. Right, because mm-hmm. there's a the survival element to that. I believe, mm-hmm. in some degree, I'm going to die. Therein lies the trauma, right? So that's an example of right. where if somebody comes in, But like you said, you knew that was a tipping point, Gail, so it's a little bit different, um, but maybe not the roots of it. Somebody may come in with an issue in the present, and then that's when we're Mm -hmm. we're tracking back. The one of the ways we track back. You know what was funny about that is that major moment where the worst event happened is not when I had the break. It was when it was when more weather happened later that wasn't as severe, it took me back to all that. And I could not, I couldn't make my brain. Like I thought about tornadoes every hour of every day, mm-hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, and and I will say this, I, I, I really appreciate that you're talking about past, present, future stuff here. Because when I went in, and I've been seeing my therapist for a very long time, um, she has seen over the months that we have been together mm-hmm. a pattern. And, you know, that's the beauty of taking that time. I loved when you said that there's the assessment, but then there's the stabilization. And the stabilization is that they can see the patterns that you cannot see. And so when she presented the EMDR to me, it was, can you see the thread because there was a, a there was a couple of situations with people in the in the present and she was like where is this coming from and she was identifying and helping me to identify mm-hmm. let me say that helping me to identify why do you feel this way i feel like you know i don't like it when people manipulate situations i don't like it when people um like I can't trust somebody, you know, there's a lot of distrust that really builds up these walls and these places in my brain where well, I isn't just, I go for the jugular. Yeah. In our reaction yeah, to the present, uh, oh, yeah. always a result oh, of the past. The, you, well, exactly. And this was the thing. It was like, I am right here. You know, we have that righteousness. And she was like, well, let's just pull you out of that. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall that session with delicately telling Christina, (laughs) Christina from the hood, we're going to do this differently. (laughs) We're going to let Liz talk because we're so bad. We just want you to know how we want you to know the layman personal 
story. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. That's what's important. But, and Christina, I wanted to actually share with both of you, um, Christina, in your story, I do feel um, the trust that you have with your therapist and um, Mm -hmm. that how he or she has really worked for that too. And I love the empowering language that I've experienced with you because it's very much, you know, this was my decision, you know, again, the therapist brought you something kind of like you, you're brought a buffet or something, you know, but this is what I really think can help Mm -hmm. you. And it's important to take in your therapist. I mean, they're the specialist recommendation. Um, You felt trust, safety, and you were at a point where you were ready to do that. That's amazing. And Gail, you are amazing because you had enough self-preservation to say, now's not the right time for me to do that. And there is no right or wrong. It's not like that's something that wasn't enough for you, Gail, or that you failed in some way. That's really being honoring to yourself to say, either I'm not ready for this, or I don't think it's right for me. And some of these treatments are not going to be right for everyone. And what I would care more than anything in the world is that we can begin to honor ourselves, take in the, um, recommendation of a professional who has, you know, spent years in studying a lot of this stuff. Um, Take that into account, but well, listen to yourself. some of it is situational. Absolutely. Right. My situation mm-hmm. was different because we were moving out of the spring months. I was regaining control of my thoughts and I didn't feel like I needed it at that moment. Now, that's not to say I won't need it next week, but it was, I don't want to give myself any credit that's not due. Some of the threat had expired for that moment too for me. So that right. mm-hmm. that was helpful. But I want to say about Christina, like she talked to me about something last week that irritated her that I know is one of her main triggers. And she was, she didn't even get her knife out. She was not stabbing anyone. Fantastic. I see such growth. She did not threaten anyone's life. She hasn't stabbed anybody in a good six weeks. I mean, but in reality, Christine, the way you talked about that situation, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, you talked about it differently, friend. You talked about mm. it rationally. Mm. It wasn't, because Christina and I can go to mm-hmm. 60 and fast. And if you, you, you know, haven't told have your someone. therapist that, Christina, tell your therapist that. Because that's one of the things we're looking for. So what we find <laughs> yes. is this generalization effect. Now, it sounds like y'all are talking about something specific that Gail knew it had a history of mm-hmm. triggering Christina. What we can also find is in generalization, right? So. I threw up when I drank Diet Coke at six years old. I've not had a Coke or any dark, sparkling substance <laughs> since. That's generalizing <laughs> and making all the, you know, the sodas or whatever else that, you know, that's a generalization effect. We find the same thing in healing. So where we begin mm-hmm. to see these behavior mm-hmm. changes, these behavior shifts and being able to cope that can be very subtle too. That's an excellent example. Yeah. Well, and I I loved that you talked about when you go through the um, EMDR that there is going to be emotion that comes up. Um, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that there would be emotion. And I didn't realize that afterwards, I I told Gail, I said, oh my gosh, I was so tired like after. Mm -hmm. And I went to my therapist. I said, is this normal to be tired after she goes, Oh, I wasn't surprised at all when you said that. Like I was preparing 
for someone to drive me home if I did it. (laughs) Someone to be waiting. I wanted my friend, our mutual friend, to come Mm -hmm. with me because I... (laughs) She would intervene if Liz tried to kill me or anything, you know. Um, I, I was, I think maybe that, but that I'm an Enneagram 8. I, I knew all the things. I'd ask all the questions and yeah. I was, you know, we're Not always me. suspicious. I just was like, Christine's like, whatever. Also, again, both are fine, but it's, it's the, um, yes, it's exhausting. I've even had people say headaches or something afterwards, even other things like frequent mm-hmm. urination, the need to use the bathroom in the middle of a session. And my clients like, I just went before we came, you know, because things are moving because when you think of being contracted, yeah. everything is tight and closed in. And so when you begin to relax and things are moving, you may belch, you may pass gas, you may need to use the restroom more frequently. Um, you know, you may be, have a headache too. You may, you're exhausted. Wow. It's amazing mm-hmm. how our body is crashed down on all of that. Mm-hmm. So just to, just to give a little explanation of what an EMDR session might look like, you are doing these stimulating activities, which can be light flashes of light it can be is that mm-hmm. what we're yep. talking now, about now if anybody has a history of seizures it can be um yeah this it's important to disclose that to your therapist you would not want to use a light bar for that you may be mm-hmm. making sound mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. outside their ears right. so that and you may be there might correct. be touching so um you know you can i can get um for reasons that trauma affects us. It is not ideal for me to be sitting on my knees because you want to have it at eye level. So if somebody imagines, look, if, if the audience looks up right now at their ceiling, but keeps, I mean, that's looking up, right? You want to begin at eye level with the, with the bilateral stimulation is what it's called. It's just a bunch of fancy words that, you know, seem intimidating. And I can actually hold two fingers up and make the fingers go at eye level from right to left. And somebody can follow that with their eyes, and that is doing bilateral stimulation. Just because, again, the nature of trauma, and I do do that sometimes, by the way, it's just not always ideal for me to be sitting on my knees in the person's physical space. The other way we would do tapping is that I might get on their knees, right knee, left knee, right knee, left knee, right knee, left knee. Um, And again, I do that, uh, and it's not always ideal. So we have tappers, too. So there's something that you can hold that vibrates right, left, Mm -hmm. right, left. Um, Auditory, I can snap right ear, left ear, right ear, left ear. Again, imagine how close I'd be to your body to be doing um, increments of that. And so we can do that. We can also do uh, headphones that do the beats in the ears. Headphones, yeah. And you're just observing which one seems to be the best for that patient as you're doing it. Yeah. And I'm explaining to them. Yeah. It's Mm. not my business um, because I don't know, but I'm explaining to them. They don't have to know why you don't have to know why that's so freeing. I don't know why, but I prefer this tone or it feels too fast. So see, we can adjust the half, the speed of something. The only time I take over or really recommend you know, something is if we're getting stuck and we're getting stuck again and again and again and again, then maybe we're going to try something different. Maybe the eye movements aren't working. Maybe we need to go into the um, beeps or yeah, auditory. That's the more professional word for that. 
So when you're doing this, then you're talking them through these memories or about these memories or some, there's some kind of There's actually a lot more silence on. when you're getting to this phase of EMDR and it can throw people off just a bit. Mm. Um, now we do, you know, we're trained in what we call cognitive interweaves. There may be a reason for me to say something while you're doing your processing to kind of interweave what I know we're going in the work, but that's, that's not frequent. So for instance, by the time we're at, um, the third phase of EMDR, which is when we're doing the bilateral stimulation, um, I will have the person, it's kind of, you know, the metaphor of a train ride. Here's our train stop, okay? Um, or here's where we go to get on the train. And the train's going to go. And so that's when I start the bilateral stimulation. Now I'm watching the person because I will sometimes choose to turn it off or stop it, um, at a certain point, a lot of times that's when I can see them breathe again. Like they kind of have a more deep breath. Um, or I'll see that they're really, you know, sobbing, 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 sobbing. And I let that clear and clear and clear. Plus, at this point, every client knows that they can stop on their own accord whenever they want to stop too. They don't need to wait on me. So yes, I'm I'm watching their nonverbal cues with me, but I'm not often speaking to them unless I'm saying things like, we're just watching old stuff go by, or you're doing great work, unless it's as occasional, this interweave sentence, but it's not more than a sentence. They are spending about maybe two minutes, I don't know, I'm not good with time, but processing internally what's coming up for them around that memory. Then we stop, and I stop it, and I have them take a deep breath, and every therapist kind of has their own style to it. Take a deep breath. Now, what are you getting now, or what are you noticing now? And what that means is some people mm-hmm. have a very specific memory. Well, then I started thinking about my mom when she would blah, blah, blah. Some people think don't have any thoughts. They're like, I feel like I cannot, like my throat feels like it's just closing in right now. And that's what they're experiencing. Awesome. It's a mind body thought. Some people are just, I'm so sad, so sad. And it, that's all that's what they're experiencing. So when we don't say, what are you thinking of now? You know, we say, what are you getting now? Or what are you noticing now? Or what are you aware of? Yeah, mm. that was, that was a big, uh, that was a big thing. What are you noticing? Um, and she walked me through, it wasn't, um, we didn't do sound, but she walked me through um, the whole process. And it was very intentional you know, and wanting me to envelop, I guess that's the right word, um, the, all of the senses. Like, what are you smelling? Who are you seeing? What are you hearing? Um, who's with you? Uh, just really making sure that I was present mm-hmm. to that space. and The space and that of was, the trauma? Well, the space of we we called it the rock. That would be this kind of this safe place, big rock where where one is stabilizing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where 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 do you see the rock? And and by the end, I didn't have the rock. Oh, maybe the rock was gone. And yeah, the rock was the the rock was absolutely gone. And she's like, "What do you want to label this?" You know, and it was for me, you know, I, I brought Jesus into the mix. And so it was just mm-hmm. the day at the beach with Jesus and mm-hmm. we flew a kite and 
And so that I'm, was I'm going to so, interrupt you here really <laughs> quick was, with time. And because I think Gail's head may come off her neck right now, because I think she's going, what <laughs> is Christina talking about right now about rocks and flying kites with Jesus? So what's really, really super cool about EMDR is that it doesn't always even have to be that concrete of a very full memory. Something happens to me at mm-hmm. 20, I can give you a very detailed memory of this. And I can give you from start to finish for the most part, if I don't dissociate. Something happens at a younger age, I don't know. So I have done EMDR with people who will imagine an alligator coming at them. And that's how they experience it. Now, I don't think an alligator came into their bed. Christina, that's I think next they were abused you. by an adult or someone else. But they're experiencing it as this alligator or something else. And so we go, we go with that. It's healing. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. So anything else? Um, I, I just, we always want to be actionable. So if someone thinks one of these modalities could be helpful to them, where do they start? What do they I do? I would, um, with EMDR, you can go to EMDRIA, which is EMDRIA. The IA is International Association.com. And you can find a provider in your area that's been trained in that. If your therapist um, has told you that they're trained in that, I encourage people to ask how, you know, what degree of training they've had. Because you can do one weekend of it, and there's a lot more elements to it. You can go to... Oh, hell no. I need, I'm going to need somebody <laughs> right, with right. more than a weekend. Um, <laughs> and so EFT, <laughs> you can go to... Um, you can just Google EFT, but one of my very favorite places is ACEP. A-C-E-P, and it's America... Energy psychology is the E and the P. I'm blanking on the AC part, but ASEP, actually it's ASEP.org, A-C-E-P.org. And that's a lot of different modalities, but they have a whole section on EFT. Um, but yeah, you can, you know, just, or ask for your therapist's curricular vita, curriculum vita. Yeah. What are they trained in? What are they interested in? Mm. And if we're visiting a therapist's website, is it typically going to tell us their different, I, I know you see CBT mentioned a lot, is it, is, should that also probably be listed on websites? Absolutely. If, if your therapist is EFT an up-to-date website, EMDR. Yes. I'm saying that with some sarcasm towards myself because I do not at this moment, but I'm going to. But yes, if you, um, it'll most likely say it on their website. Um, what? So those are, I guess what I'm getting at, those are common terms that a, psych- a therapist would reveal that they are trained Right. It's in, also terms like that you can, if you're interested things, in one of those, so. if one of those things are sounding like, yes, this is what I quote need. Um, it's also something you can ask your insurance company. So when you're calling to ask for a provider in your area, you can say, I'm looking for someone that's um, a provider that's trained in EMDR, that's trained in EFT. Okay. The one last question, is there anybody in particular that you can think of that these modalities would not be good for that, you know, stay away, red flag, this is not a treatment. Okay. You're breaking up a little bit. I think you said, um, that, and that looks like the internet's a little bit slow. 
So I think you said that is there anybody that you shouldn't do this with? I would use the therapist. I mean, there again, we don't have to figure those things out on our own. We, that's why we go in. I don't figure it out on my own about myself. I ask the professional that's working with me. Um, so I would trust the professional. Uh, as a professional, they're somebody who's had a very recent suicide attempt. Um, I'm not moving into EMDR with them. I might move into EFT and tapping to bring that down, but I'm not throwing them into their traumas while they are actively working on regaining the strength to stay alive. Got it. That's just like you don't do physical rehab on a knee right. if, if the, the knee is Correct. hanging out of the flesh. Um, you know, that's not, yeah, got it. Okay. Well, once again, Liz, we are so glad you decided to partner with us and agreed to be our resident mental illness expert. Our listeners get so much out of your episodes and your presence with us, and we just really appreciate it. It's a large chunk of your time that you could be billing a lot of money for, and so we are super, super grateful. I have the utmost trust in you and what you do and the information you give us, so just know how much we appreciate thank you. you. Thank you both. I'm so grateful for what you're doing for so many people out there that can use this information. Well, we have big plans for you on our um, upcoming meetup. Okay, so I'll be calling great. you soon for a chat. All right. <laughs> She's all, oh gosh. <laughs> She, what Liz, am I in for? Believe me, Liz can tell me no as easily <laughs> as she can tell me yes. She knows what might make me jump. Um, so, Liz, again, appreciate you so much. And gosh, Christina, my brain is on fire swirling. I oh, cannot I wait to release this episode. But until then, what do we always say? Go and get your boxy on. Bye-bye now. Bye.